All right, uh, here we are. And I want to just start by saying sometimes you need a chance to get restarted. Have you ever known somebody that has a heart rhythm problem known as AFib? That's AFib for short. And uh, they, one of the ways they work on curing that, if medication won't get it, is a restart. I know there's a technical name for it. It just it sounds terrible. They put you under and they send a jolt of lightning through your body. And for a moment, your heart stops. And then it restarts. And the goal there is to get it restarted in proper rhythm. Sounds simple. Sometimes, though, that is the easiest answer for some of life's easier challenges. Your iPhone, you know, is sluggish. And so what do you do? Well, you give it a hard restart. You just restart it and maybe it'll problem solve. Things are working like they should. Or your modem at home for your Wi-Fi you know, is sluggish. So you call up customer support. What's one of the first things they have you do? Unplug it. Plug it back in. Restart it. Problem solved. Wished I would thought of that. That's easy. Um, not so many things are that easy, like marriage and child rearing and those kinds of things. But restarting can make a lot of things easier and better in life. This month, leading up to Thanksgiving week, I want to do a restart with our singing in the church. We could use restart. And it's a much bigger subject than just our singing as a church family, but I want to give our singing as Central Christian Church a restart by taking a really strong look at that subject through God's Word. And I'm calling it, He Has Put a New Song in my mouth. There's one verse that this whole series could hang on. It's from Psalm 40, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. My hope is that as a church family, we can get a handle on why we sing and how that part of our worship to God is something that God has given to us as a blessing for us and something we give to him to be a blessing to him. And so we're going to be looking at how it impacts our lives, how we make it a better part of our lives, how it can be a noteworthy expression of our devotion to the Lord. And yeah, I hope that our singing will be forever moved forward in some ways at Central so that our divine audience will be pleased with our singing to him. It is my prayer that come Thanksgiving season, as a church family, we're going to have a new song in our mouths, a song of praise to our God that many will see it and that ultimately people will come and put their trust in the Lord. So at the beginning of any kind of a restart, there's a basic question. Why? I'm glad you asked that. Soldiers, go storm that hill and take it. Why? Kids, you should eat that broccoli. Why? Patient, you should allow me to put you under and do surgery on you. Why? We generally don't put a lot of effort or treasure into something unless we understand the why of it. Right? So, why? Why do we sing? Why is there even such a thing as singing in the church? And why is it that we seem to make it an important part of what we do when we get together? 
Why would the preacher set aside a few weeks to shine a light on this subject of all things? If there isn't a compelling answer to that question, odds are pretty good you won't end up with a new song in your mouth at all. So guess what I want to try to do this morning? I want to try to answer the question, why? To lay the groundwork, some reasons, some good reasons for us to be people who sing and why that's a part of our life in Christ. So here we go. Ready? Number one, we sing because we're created and how we're created. The Bible begins with Genesis 1-1. You know those words, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then there's this whole account of the supreme, eternal God creating all that is out of nothing. Now, why is that at the very beginning of Scripture? A lot of reasons come to mind. One of those reasons is this, that you and I need information to understand our place in creation. You and I have been created. That makes you and me creatures. That's where that word comes from. And when you study that creation, you begin to see how all of it fits together. How everything, including us, has its place in creation. There are a couple of exceptions. Beets, for example. Those happen somewhere in Genesis 3 along with thorns and thistles. But everything has its place. And God put it together that way. Psalm 139, verse 13. David writes, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Somewhere in there, at about 12 weeks of development, as you were just over two inches long, roughly the size of a lime, your vocal cords were fully formed. They were in place. Before you were born, they were already working. And what was one of the very first things you did when you were born? You don't remember. You exercised your vocal cords. It's the same for all of us, even though they may differ a bit. It's not just vocal cords, though, that God put into us. He also put into us, as he created us, the ability to hear and to distinguish Pitches, sounds, assuming we have good hearing, we can distinguish pitches. There's this thing called the circle of fifths. Let me give you a music theory 101 here real quick this morning, all right? The circle of fifths, and whether you know the name of it or not, that little chart explains why some sounds are pleasing to your ears, that's called consonants, and why some sounds, when they're put together, don't sound good to your ears, that's called dissonance. And it all goes back to this circle of fifths, this way that sounds all work together. It's all mathematical, and it's all about physics. God put that together. He also put in our minds the ability to consider what we're singing concepts as we sing. Music recalls memory. Music ignites creativity. It engages our intellect. It reaches deep down into our emotions in ways that other things can't. You ever wonder why that is? Songs are also a great way for us to memorize information. Do you remember Schoolhouse Rock? I'm just a bill. Yeah, I'm only a bill. How many of you know what a bill is because of Schoolhouse Rock? Yeah, me too. 
And I memorized the preamble to the Constitution and about 500 other different things, all because of those silly tunes with a cartoon on Saturday mornings. It's how we're created. Think about that. When God made creation, he made it not only to be functional, but also to be beautiful. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Pleasant to the sight, good for food. God did that. You know, God could have made the world in grayscale. It could all be black and white or without flavor, without sound, without texture. Instead, God put it together the way that he did. He enjoys beauty. He made the birds, for instance, with all of their color, all of their songs, like these birds of paradise, which, by the way, are not only flashy dressers, but they've got some roaring dance moves, too, if you've ever watched them. He filled creation with endless color combinations. He gave us the sense of taste and touch and sight and sound, the ability to enjoy those things. You and I were created in the image of the God who created these things. And we were created to be like him. Think about that. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This God in whose image we are created. I remember a young girl some years ago here in Rockford came to visit with her sister, at our house, and they were both going to be spending a few hours there while we took care of them, while they were being watched by us. And so Carrie made some brownies for the girls. Not for us, for the girls. And I can still picture this little girl, four years old probably, sitting down to a brownie on a plate in front of her and singing over it. She was just so happy to have a brownie. And she was just singing as she dug into this brownie. Well, the thought that God would rejoice over people to the point of singing ought to bring us some joy too, shouldn't it? It could also serve as a reminder that we are created in God's image. That means, I understand it to mean, we are designed to sing. He means for us to sing. Some of you are saying, "Uh, you haven't heard me sing. Maybe your story is like Carrie's dad. Dad Hart, this is a true story. He told us that in fifth grade, he was signed up for choir. So he went to choir class, and after the first day, the teacher took him aside and said to Dad Hart that if he would promise to just move his mouth and not sing, he'd pass the class. True story. Bob dropped out of the church choir. Someone asked him when he stopped Singing, he said, I stopped singing since the Sunday that I was gone, and everyone thought that the piano had suddenly been tuned. (laughs) So, is that you? Maybe that's you this morning, all right? Maybe that's been your go to for I don't need to sing because you need not to hear it. Let me tell you something God has designed you and equipped you to sing just as well as He wants for you to sing. 
Our singing starts inside, doesn't it? Where God sees it in the heart. How many of you, when uh, your child or your grandchild as a little one, works on a picture, works really hard, makes it and brings it to you and says, here, Mommy, here, Daddy, here, Grandpa, here, Grandma, here's a picture that I did. How many of you take that picture and criticize it? No, you take it and stick it up on the refrigerator, right? Because you appreciate the love that's behind it. The Bible describes the fact that God has built singing not just into us, but into other parts of creation. You're going to notice the Psalms a lot, by the way, in this series, obviously. Psalm 98, verse 4 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar, and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. There's a really interesting concept that C.S. Lewis uses in the, the Chronicles of Narnia, the book called The Magician's Nephew. And there, he goes back in the history of Narnia and describes how Aslan, the great lion, brought it into existence by singing it into existence. Remember, you and I are creatures. And when we deliberately sing, we are joining ourselves with the tune of the cosmos. Isn't that incredible? So let me encourage you not to sing because you're good at it and not to be silent because you're not good at it. Instead, sing because you love the one who made you. Because you love the one who made the principles of music and who gives you the ability to praise him by singing. Henry Purcell took an old poem by Nathaniel Angelo and in 1688 made it into a hymn that reads like this. We sing to him whose wisdom formed the ear, our songs. Let him who gave us voices hear. We joy in God who is the spring of mirth, who loves the harmony of heaven and earth. Our humble sonnets shall that praise rehearse who is the music of the universe. And whilst we sing, we consecrate our art and offer up with every tongue a heart. All right, so there's one reason to sing. Got it? Because it is a way that we fulfill our purpose for being created. God made us, created us to sing. Here's the second reason. And that is that we sing because God commands us to sing. And I realized this morning that if you're a, not a follower of Christ, it's different for you. If you're not really following Jesus, you're not really concerned about what God commands. So I'm speaking right now at this moment to followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, by the way, this by itself ought to be enough reason for you to sing. As one person has put it, Christian singing is far more than doing our duty, but it is never less. Psalm 149, verse 1, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. 
Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Singing is referred to throughout the Bible over 400 times. And of those 400 times, more than 50 of them, it's a command. A command to sing. Many of them talk about where we're supposed to sing. And by the way, that's not just in the car or in the shower. And that's fine if you excel at singing in the shower. I know the acoustics are good there. But just be aware that if there is anyone else in the house, it may well show up on Facebook. But when God commands singing, he especially commands it to a group together. And that's supposed to be a regular part of our worship life. The command also addresses what we're supposed to sing. There's one place in the book of Colossians, it's repeated again in the New Testament elsewhere, but Colossians 3.16, that's an easy verse to remember, right? Colossians 3.16. It reads like this. Let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is God's word to his people. And I find it interesting that the command to sing includes, among other things, the attention that we give to one another. Did you see that there? To one another. And it includes a variety of songs. So, where do we get the substance of our teaching? Where do we get the right words to admonish one another? What is our ultimate source of wisdom? Do you hear what we're driving at here? The substance of the things that we sing to one another ought to be filled with the truth of God's Word. That's where those things come from. The word of Christ that dwells in us richly, expressed, Paul says, here in songs. And there's how we're supposed to sing, by the way, not because I have to, but he says here because of thankfulness that's in your heart to God. So let me ask a direct question to you this morning. Don't answer it out loud, but please ask it of yourself. What if your non-effort to sing is an act of disobedience? against these multiple commands to sing. And where, by the way, is the list of disobediences that are okay for you to maintain in your walk with God? I'm interested. What is it that's on the list of things that God has said to do that don't really matter? You know, when Jesus walked on the earth, he was God and man. He was God with us. And at the same, same time, Jesus spoke very freely about the way that his time on earth, he was submitting himself to the Father. Among the things that included was Jesus getting up early in the morning, going off to lonely places to pray, Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It included his custom of gathering others uh, with others to worship on the Sabbath day, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And sure enough, Jesus sang. Did you know that? After the Last Supper, 
just before he was going to the garden to be arrested and crucified, we read these words about Jesus and the apostles. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I wonder what that sounded like. I've been to some funerals where everyone sings together. And I didn't always find it easy to sing. I don't know. At my funeral, I guess I would like that to happen, that there would be singing. But it made sense to me every time I've been at a funeral that we were to be doing that. Imagine for a moment Jesus on the threshold of his great suffering singing a hymn. And then imagine while he's on the cross what it sounded like for Jesus to quote the words of a song that he would have learned as a little boy. Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those were the words of a song. Maybe I can sing when I don't really feel like it. Maybe I can sing regardless of who might hear it. Maybe I can sing just because the Lord wants me to and it's one more way I can be like Jesus. We ought to sing because it's commanded. Here's the third reason, all right? Third reason to sing. We sing because we feel compelled to sing. Compulsion. Acting on compulsion, that means you're being pushed along by forces that are nearly impossible for you to resist. Compulsion. We often use it in a negative way. Have you seen the meme? Sometimes when I'm dieting, a chocolate bar will jump out of the cupboard, unwrap itself, and run all the way into my mouth. How rude. Compulsion. But when it comes to singing to the Lord, the idea of being compelled is a positive thing. Follow it through the scriptures, you'll see this, that worship is a response to revelation. Worship is a response to revelation. And by revelation, I am referring to any way that God reveals something about himself to us. For instance, we somehow get impressed by some truth about God. Either that comes to us by way of the general revelation of creation, all right? There's a lot of it going on right now. When you see a mountain, when you see the fall colors, when you see a tiny little baby, and you feel moved to respond, what an amazing God created these things. Or it might come from what's called special revelation, something you read in the Scriptures, you're reading God's revelation of himself, and you read that, and you are moved to respond. You read how God made him who had no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or you read that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us, and it moves you to sing in praise to God. You're compelled. Our greatest motive, our greatest reason to sing to the Lord comes as a response when we encounter some truth about God. Worship is a response to revelation. It's not something that you just drum up because the right beat or tempo is going. Worship is a response to revelation. You go on a trip somewhere beautiful, and on the trip you 
pull out your phone and you snap some pictures trying to capture a little bit of what you're experiencing, pictures of the scenery, and you take those pictures and what do you do with them? You post them, right? Stick them up on Facebook or someplace and they go out and friends of yours get to see them. Why do you do that? Is it because you want to show everybody what an awesome life you have? I think there's a good motive behind it. I think the reason you do that is because you're enjoying it and you want to share that joy with people you care about, right? You put those pictures on social media because you want so much to share that joy with other people that matter to you. Now, if you go to the DMV and wait in line for an hour, you probably don't pic take pictures of that experience and post them so that everyone could see them. You don't feel compelled to share that scene with anybody, right? Why not? It's just not the same as a trip to Colorado or something. So what do you do when you learn something about God, something you didn't realize or understand before, or you receive some blessing from God that makes joy well up in you, or you see something in creation and it just makes you step back breathless and in awe of the God who made these things? You read a verse of Scripture that says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. And you look up at the expanse of the sky and, and ponder just for a moment what that means. What do you do with that? You ever feel the urge to sing to the Lord the way that you feel the urge to post something on social media and share it? Here's something to think about. If you don't feel that urge, if you don't feel compelled to sing, where are you taking in God's revelation of himself to you? Is it possible that the void is because you're not regularly filling your life, your mind with God's revelation? Is it possible? See, if you're struggling, and that's the reason that you're struggling to sing, there's a cure for that. It's called filling your mind with God's revelation. Robert Ingersoll, years ago, was a preacher's son who left his faith. He became known in the United States. In fact, I think he was a contribution of the state of Illinois, mostly. He came, became known as the great agnostic. And Robert Ingersoll publicly was one of the, the famous people who badmouthed Christianity, openly criticized Christianity and everybody who believed in Jesus. July the 21st, 1899, he suddenly and unexpectedly died. And the news of his death shocked his family. They kept his body in his home several days because of his wife's reluctance to part with it. Eventually it was removed for the health of the family. His remains were cremated. And there was a memorial service held for Ingersoll. Notices went out about it. And in the notices, it included this line, there will be no singing. Not a surprise. What do you get when you cross a Mormon elder with an atheist? Somebody who knocks on your door for no apparent reason. Think about that.
Atheism has no song to sing. Atheism has no reason to sing. Atheism has no creator to sing to. Music in the atheist worldview is just another example of random coincidence that really doesn't matter. Not so for the person who has encountered God's revelation about himself. Amen? Church, we have a reason to sing. The scriptures contain songs. By the way, lots of songs. Songs about salvation, about battles, about deliverance, about struggles, about faith, about prophecy. There are songs that prisoners can sing at midnight that will change someone else's life forever. Amy Carmichael, an Irish missionary, wrote these lyrics. He put a new song in my mouth. His love is ever bringing cool leaves of healing from his tree. And though in drought, how can I keep from singing? I learned about a, a guy by the name of Calvin Hunt who had thrown his life away to his addiction to crack cocaine. But he came to the Lord and he was delivered from it. And Calvin sang. He didn't need to be told to sing. He became a member of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And nobody had to tell him to sing. I want you to see just a moment of his testimony this morning. Make it a little bit personal for me. Tell me what, it ha what happened to you. How did crack influence your life? Well, actually it destroyed my life. It didn't influence me at all. I, uh, I got involved with it, mm -hmm. got hooked on it. It became everything to me. I would, uh, I would come to this place here, park my car down this street here, mm -hmm. and I would stay there days, days. Fill my pocket up with, with vials of crack and go into these bushes and stoop down low and just smoke crack and just waste, waste myself away. There is a blood, cleansing blood that flows from Calvary. And in this blood, there's a saving power, for it washes white and makes me clean. Clean, oh, clean. This is it. Yeah. What went on here? This is where I brought it, smoked it. Back here where this building is, people used to wait a half a block long to get their crack, waiting for their turn to get to the door. Back behind the building is a doghouse. I used to sleep and stay in that doghouse, watching over another guy that used to sell drugs there. I can't understand how I ended up here. I never hoped to, I didn't mean to, but I ended up here having a home, having a family, having a nice beautiful apartment. I was sleeping in a doghouse. I had run for so long and now I was, I was, I was tired of running. I 
And I began to cry, God, please make me clean. Calvin Hunt passed away several years ago. I bet you he's still singing. He had a reason to sing, didn't he? In the book of Revelation, John describes what he sees, a multitude of people and angels around the throne of God, people, by the way, he says, who have overcome death by remaining faithful to the Lord. And guess what they're doing in Revelation chapter 13, uh, 15, verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Walter B. Knight, looking back at the role of singing in the church, pointed this out. The psalm singing of Christian martyrs going to their deaths in the arena alerted the Roman Empire to the fact that a new and revolutionary force was coming into being. When the pleasure-bent populace saw the Christians singing as they fearlessly entered the amphitheater where hungry lions awaited them, they were filled with awe. I hope this morning that I have just planted into your mind an expanded view of our singing, why we do that. We sing because we are created, because we are commanded, because we are compelled to sing to our Redeemer. Not because we have to, but because we love Him. And because we want you to love Him too. One of the things that we're going to be talking about on down the road is how our singing is a witness concerning our faith in Jesus, something that not only we see among each other, but that the world sees about God's people. And I hope this morning, uh, if you're joining us online, if you're here in person, and this is something that's kind of different to you, I hope this really sticks with you, that we sing because we've been given a reason to sing. In just a moment, we're going to uh, close up our, our worship time. And we generally have a word of prayer. We'll generally have a kind of closing song. And uh, we'll have a couple of announcements and things. And then we're going to go from here. But I hope this week, today, tomorrow morning, you start thinking about your singing. I'm going to be doing the same. All right? Maybe uh, you realize because of this, uh, Life in Jesus, this is something that really matters to these people. I mean, they're talking about singing in front of one another for crying out loud. Who does that? Well, lots of people do. We've got the best reason to do it, don't we? And if you're looking for life in Christ today, we want to help you find that. We want to help you start life that is real life indeed. And life that will last forever. Jesus says that about the life that he offers to those who will come to him. So we're going to pray. If you're uh, wanting to become a follower of Christ today, then I'm going to be up front here. And any time from now to the time that we dismiss from here today, please come talk to me. If you're joining us online, please get in touch with us. Please put a, a comment in the comment section or contact us by email on our website, cccrockford.org. 
slash connect. Let us get back to you, and let's sit down and look at God's Word together and begin that relationship with Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for putting in front of us examples, commands, reasons, motives to lift our voices in praise to You. Father, I pray as a church family, we will encourage each other to grow in this one aspect of our worship and our lives before you. We want you to be pleased by the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart. Father, may they be acceptable to you today and this week is our prayer in Jesus' name.